1996, a group of German tourists arrived in the United States for what was supposed to be a fun vacation. When they did not return home by their scheduled date, family members alerted authorities and a search began. While the remains of one individual were found deep in the desert, the location of the others remain a mystery. Today, we look at the strange case of the Death Valley Germans. This is Red Web. Well, hello there, Task Force, and welcome back to another episode of Red Web, the show all about bringing those mysteries and the unsolved straight to you. Every week we digest the fearful thoughts and topics of this world and give them right to your supple eardrums. I am your resident mystery enthusiast, breaking this case down fact by fact, Trevor Collins, and joining me hearing this case reacting for the very first time, Alfredo Diaz. I think the intriguing thing is that we have a body as morbid as mm-hmm. it sounds, a body that was discovered. Um, so I'm very curious to hear about the condition of the body. Oh, yeah. Along with additional details. Yeah. The unfortunate reality that the hook of this episode kind of like shocked me into is just, just hearing about all the like just abductions that happen, whether around the world or even here. In Austin, Texas. Oh, yeah, man. You, know, it's, you talk about like 6th Street. It's a party street, but people just like getting abducted, just cars pulling up and people jumping out. Yep. Grabbing, grabbing people, pulling them into the car. That's people are getting brave out there. Terrifying. Getting snatched off the street. Absolutely terrifying. Sorry, you're here, Task Force. You know what you're getting into. This is all terrifying stuff. Like, Everything's it's, it's, terrifying. it's very scary. But that's what that, like, that's yes. what this episode just instantly shocked my mind into. Like, right. It is reminds that what I, did you. They, did they get kidnapped? Like, mm-hmm. Because people just get pulled off the street. Absolutely. It's absolutely one of those things. But um, it's an interesting case. And I hadn't heard about this one, but it gets intriguing. I mean, the immediate, I mean, as I mentioned, Death Valley Germans. So now we have German tourists coming in and obviously the namesake kind of being integral to the mystery. You go Death Valley. Oh, well, that's a super boiling hot, one of the hottest places on this earth. That There's your answer, right? Yeah, maybe they went hiking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And... They just kind of got lost on a trail or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, if we're bringing it to you, it ain't that straightforward. Yeah, yeah. Some intricate details out there. And this stayed alive because of one user and their blog and their interest with this mystery. Oh, wow. Because otherwise, this case went dead cold pretty quick. It's a very difficult terrain to search through, as you can imagine. And we'll get into all those details. But yeah, due to one investigator kind of enthusiast, one, one person interested in this mystery that ran a blog, it kind of resurfaced this and new information was able to come out years after. So we're going to dive into all of that. But first, let's go all the way back to the beginning of this case, what initiated this disappearance. And as usual, before we dive in, I want to say that this episode will cover a few sensitive topics such as child death and a family's disappearance. But that said, let's dive in. On July 8th, 1996, a group of German tourists arrived in the United States, specifically Los Angeles, California, though it's worth mentioning they connected through Seattle, Washington. We have 34-year-old Egbert Rimkus, Egbert's 11-year-old son, Jorg Weber, Egbert's girlfriend, 27-year-old Cornelia Connie Meyer, and Connie's 4-year-old son, Max. Once in LA, they rented a green 1996 Plymouth Voyager, the peak of automobile invention 
a minivan. The, the Plymouth. Uh, absolutely. And if you Googled it because you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about when you oh, see it. Oh, man. That is, that, that is an old-looking car, mm -hmm. even when, like, in its heyday. Look at the profile on that beast. <laughs> she could whisper through the air. She had the aerodynamics of a of a minivan. Brick. <laughs> <laughs> a brick. a brick in motion. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they rented this green Voyager from Dollar Rent-A-Car and since Egbert didn't have a license, it was Cornelia's license that was listed. She was the, the one driving okay. uh, on the paperwork. The group spent most of their trip in San Clement, California, which would be kind of on the south end of Los Angeles. On July 12th, Egbert requested a money transfer of 1500 US dollars from his bank in Germany over to the United States. It's just an interesting little thing I want to point out just in case it comes up in the theories. Okay. I mean, off the rip. What you feeling? 1500s, not, not that much. Not that much. You not, know? not enough to, to do, like, you know, to to drain someone's bank account or anything like that. Sure, that's sure. a That's a, I'm, I need some more influx of cash for this right. trip. Like, I need to buy some, some Zaz for my boys. Right. Yeah, you yeah. know? That's not, yeah, it's not alarming in any way yeah. so far. I mean, maybe they didn't want to travel with 1500, didn't True. want it to get yeah. lost or what have yeah. you. It would draw mo majority, if not most, yeah. when they get there. Yeah, smart. Now, interestingly, though, on July 21st, he was once again seeking money, but this time from his ex-wife, i.e. Jorg's mother. She will come up again later, but not in the sense of, of money. These are just some interesting pieces of information that we can maybe correlate against the timeline. But this money was never sent Egbert's way. And so it seems that because he made a second request, that neither request for money was ever made, for whatever reason. So he made a single request from his bank, then a second request from his... His, ex, his ex... His ex-wife, yes. His ex-wife. And neither request went through? We know for a fact that she never sent the money Egbert's right. way. Okay. But it is implied or assumed that because he's also asking his ex, that perhaps that money never came from the bank either. Ah, we don't know. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Now, on July 22nd, the group checked out of Treasure Island Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. From there, it can be surmised that they then went to the Furnace Creek Visitor Center in Death Valley, where two German editions of Death Valley National Monument Museum text were purchased. This Death Valley Visitor Center is about 300 miles from San Clement, or 483 kilometers if you prefer, and also about 120 miles or just shy of 200 kilometers from Vegas. This creates kind of like a little triangle, as it were, of their trip. These are all areas in the southwest United States, yep. mostly in Southern California, just barely into Nevada mm -hmm. for our international listeners. Now, Death Valley, for a little tangent, because we're going to spend a lot of our time here in Death Valley. So I want to let you know, if you don't know about it, it covers 3,000 square miles or just shy of 8,000 square kilometers. It's in Eastern California, and it's near the border of Nevada. The highest ambient air temperature ever recorded on Earth occurred in Death Valley, specifically Furnace Creek, where they were. Jesus! And that was uh, 136 degrees Fahrenheit. And that was, the, that was the highest recorded in the world? In the world. Just the ambient air. Yeah, yeah. Or about 57.7 degrees Celsius. 136? That's hot. Bro, you are cooked the oh, yeah. second you, like... Jump out of a car. We've been pushing 105 here in Austin recently. And it, on the heat index, it says feels like 115. That enough is like, oh, God. You walk outside and immediately you're like, oh, like SpongeBob looking for water. I just. Right? Pinky up, but still looking for water. That's rough living conditions. 
th those aren't living conditions. <laughs> that 32 extra degrees above what we've been hitting in Austin, I can't imagine. No. That's I mean, you, you would oh. just, you would function indoors. You would never go outside. No way, yeah. So it's the hottest, driest, and lowest national park with a portion of it lying 282 feet or 86 meters below sea level. I didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah, there's some dried up lake beds there, which makes sense. Oh, yeah, but okay, yeah. But the heat prevent water from standing, so I guess that's why you have some low wow. geography. You think like the highest recorded, I forgot what was specifically what, this was the air temperature? Mm hmm It would be somewhere closer to the equator, somewhere tropical. Yeah, you'd think. I don't, I don't know how things work like the that. Same, but, you know, same, I'll trust the thermometer from my the very, my very simple mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes, you'd think it'd be somewhere tropical. You'd think it'd be somewhere I guess right the along Sahara. the equator. Right. But yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is the type of place, just again, to drive this home, that in order to be there or visit for an extended period of time, people go undergo special training in order to get accustomed to the temperature and in order to... Be okay. In fact, tourists that drive through this area are heavily encouraged to wear the right clothes, bring water with them, God forbid they break down, or bring other sort of accessories in order to ensure safe passage. It's the same thing as if you were to drive from Texas to California. You go through a lot of desert. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That's not a, that's not a car I'd be reliable Yeah, um, driving across like that. I mean, baking those tires, you know, that's one of those things where you, you feel like you step on the asphalt, you lift up your boot and the rubber's already melted to the street, I feel like. Mm -hmm. So coming back to the family now, now that we've laid the groundwork for Death Valley, they camped in Hanapa Canyon, about 20 miles south of Furnace Creek near Telescope Peak, the highest point of elevation in Death Valley. This was also on the 22nd. So the same day they checked out of Vegas. In order to get there, it is very likely that they took quite a rough road. As you kind of surmise, this is far out there. Not a lot of these roads are smoothed off and paved. There are a couple, of course, but many of them are sand and rocks. Oh, wow. And so we're in a territory where there's some very rough terrain. Oh, man, you're driving to Plymouth, too? Yeah. You're, mm -hmm. oh, you're probably going to pop a tire or something like that. You're not even driving like a, like a truck. I'll let you hold on to that instinct. Some of the V8. Uh, yeah, V8 and 4x4, four four, you yeah, know. You're not built Ford tough. You're no. Like, yeah, not even a 4x4. Four four. Not even four-wheel. It's probably like rear-wheel drive or something like that. Probably. Uh. Yeah, probably. So their signatures were found, and we'll talk more about when they were found later on, but they were found in a visitor's log, also along Telescope Peak at Warm Spring Mine. Again, to give you some context, it's about 50 miles from Furnace Creek. They signed the guest book on the 23rd, and they wrote in the guest book, quote, we're going over the pass. In retrospect, a very eerie sentiment to have written, but one of the few clues that would be used to try to find them in the end. Their rental car was due back in LA on July 26th, and the group's return flight to Germany was set to leave out of San Francisco on July 27th. So this now gives you full context of the timeline, where they're at, what they're up to, and maybe any sort of pressures to get back to the city for their return. The family did in fact not return the car, nor did they make their plane, and relatives back in Germany grew concerned, and this is where Interpol became aware of the situation. Basically, when you have a bunch of partner countries, Interpol allows local police forces to communicate and share documents in order to make sure that they can yeah. stay on top of ongoing cases. But yeah. So, now that we're starting to get into the nitty-gritty, I know now that there's a van in play. Got a van. So I'm just thinking and hoping that they find the vehicle. 
right? Like, that's the thing at this point. Because when we first talked about it, it was like, okay, we have missing people. That could be anything. You could be in the forest and who knows, right? Here, they're going to be attached to the car. Mm-hmm. It's a big car. You know what I mean? Big car, in yeah. my mind, I'm still kind of thinking like they're going to follow a specific trail, not just drive off all willy nilly in any direction because it's you would dangerous. hope, right? You'd hope. Yeah. I but mean, that but car I'm is going to be the linchpin to, okay, the trajectory that they're in, maybe. Yeah. Any sort of remaining. But I'm thinking clues. in my head, it's like you have this cute little family, right? Uh, you have a father and a mother, separate families came together, mm-hmm. they each have their kid. I'm not thinking they're taking, I mean, already, like, it's a risk, right? But it's it's still a touristy thing. But sure. I'm not thinking they're taking a, I would like to think that they wouldn't take a big, huge risk and be like, let's just drive right. off to right. this locate, like, off trail to do something here. So I'm, I'm very curious to see, like, what turns up. Uh, is there anything, like, I don't know, like, the, the trails or, or tracks or whatnot? Like, why would we not find the vehicle? Do we find the vehicle? Like, 100%. I yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, you're right. This feels so far very much just like a normal family trip. They've signed a few logbooks. They've been to a few tourist spots, and now they're kind of visiting. I mean, yes, it's hot. It's grueling, but it's still a tourist destination in the end. Like, even if nothing else, it's between the the locations, Vegas and L.A. that they've been. Why not go sightsee, right? It is a national park. But yeah, they are now missing, and a search began for these tourists. But due to the harsh conditions of Death Valley, the search was called off only just a few days after it began. It's that harsh out there that they had to call it off. They just had to. Interpol listed the family as officially missing on August 14th. And on October 21, now this is three months now after their disappearance, park ranger Dave Brenner was flying over Death Valley in a helicopter when he saw a minivan in Anvil Canyon. In the location that he saw this minivan, we don't know in the timeline when we're thinking about him seeing this minivan, we don't know for a fact that it's theirs, but I'm going to go ahead and just spoil it. It is theirs. They did get down there and identify the car. But what stood out to him was that there were no official roads in this spot, basically necessitating that this car drive over rocky terrain where basically only specialized vehicles should have gone or could have gone. Yeah. You know, we're talking about four four wheelers again. But yep, they got down there, they checked it out. It's a green 1996 Plymouth Voyager with California plates showing that it did in fact belong to Dollar Car Rentals, confirming that it is the 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 van that the German family was using. God, this leads me to believe they died because of the conditions and the decision to go off-roading in this van for some reason. Oh yeah. That's a little rough. That's that's pretty much what a lot of people what a lot of the theories center on is what led to the conditions that obviously then we know they disappeared and or passed away in some way. Yeah. So upon looking at the vehicle, the wheels were stuck in the sand. Three of the tires had been shredded and no one, of course, was inside. They looked at the damage of the tires and experts suggest that they had driven over rocky terrain with damaged tires for upwards of two miles. Oh, they're grinding. Right. And so now it becomes obvious, to your point, the mystery is, yes, of course, where the bodies may be. Obviously, that's still a mystery to this day. But also, what a lot of the theories center on is, why are they there? Why are they driving in these conditions way off the road, especially now that it seems that they drove on damaged tires for like two miles? What was going on? I think, like, putting myself in the situation, if my tires were to pop because, you know, it's just rough roads, 
and you, you have a vehicle that's ill-equipped for it. I would stay on the trail. So I'm thinking like, why go off the trail and so far off the trail? Granted, you just trying to think of all angles, it could be because they thought there was a shortcut or maybe they didn't think that they would make it far and there's a lot more to go. And so possibly looking for some type of shade or a place that they could like hold up for a bit. That's where my mind's going. But I would want to try and stay on the road as much as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it does seem like an emergency situation created another emergency situation. Yes. You know? So looking inside the car, investigators found bottles of Bud Ice, an empty bottle of bourbon, empty water and juice containers, as well as an assortment of other items, basically indicating that whatever liquids they had, they had depleted the supply. Maybe they were living out of or the car broke down and they were kind of like just trying to stay with it and drink all the liquids while they could. And then maybe when it dried up, they, they hoofed it. But in the car, they also had luggage, a tent, sleeping bags, toys, a smoking pipe, exposed camera film, Egbert's bank cards, a spare tire, a jack, a postcard from their hotel in San Clement, and one of the German guidebooks from Furnace Creek. And strangely, most interestingly, in, in fact, an American flag labeled Butte Valley Stone Cabin. So this flag indicated that at some point the Germans had stayed at the cabin nicknamed Geologist's Cabin in Butte Valley, 4.1 miles or 6.6 kilometers west of where the car was abandoned. This cabin is unmanned, but it's usually stocked with food and water, or well, it's stocked with food and sits near a natural spring. So it offers anything you might need. So is that where they were trying to go? It's possible. Or, I mean, I guess they've been there, right? Because they had the flag. Well, they had been there, so they definitely knew about it at minimum. But this isn't like a place that people stay. This is like an emergency, like, setup. Christian, do you know if it's an emergency setup? Or if it's like just something that they have out there as a, a, a tourist stop or? I think it's more of a landmark tourist stop that is stocked with, you know, food and nearby the spring so that people can use that to kind of rest and, and refresh. But mm-hmm. I don't think it is designated as a emergency location. Got it. For uh, you to so recover. essentially acting as a just fully unmanned rest stop that you might see on along the highway. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to summarize it from my understanding. Yeah. So we have a map. Fredo, I showed you, it's it's a quite a detailed map and it's an interactive one made by Reddit user High Ramblings. But basically, I'm looking at this map and I'm looking at where the geologist's cabin is and where the car was found. The car, while 4.1 miles away, the car's heading away from the cabin. So it's almost like they stopped at the cabin, got this flag, and then headed out east from the cabin. And that's where the car is abandoned at this point. See, that's the thing that's... That's very confusing to me because I'm assuming that there was still gas and yeah, you can only grind the car for so long, but why not turn around if you were just there at some point? You know what I mean? Even then, I mean, I don't know how grueling it is to walk four miles and and all that, but it gives me hope if I know that there's like shelter four miles. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could try and push myself it wouldn't be in that situation where like i'm stuck in the van and i go oh snap i'm stuck in the van and i go i'm busting my butt four miles to yeah. try and make this yeah it's we'll we'll get into where at least one of the remains were found and, okay. and the story that that kind of tells because 
Yeah, I just want to earmark kind of this locale near that cabin for a bit. So at this point, over 200 search and rescue volunteers had scoured the area surrounding the van. Of course, that now, to your inclination, became the hotspot. Once you find the car, you know whoever must be within a certain radius of that, right? This is when the signatures in the logbook that I mentioned earlier were actually discovered. So this is where the story starts to unfold as to where they had been and uh, at what point in time. They also found in searching for the bodies or anybody living, they found an empty bottle of Bud Ice stuck in the sand one mile or 1.6 kilometers east of the van. So again, if the last known positions are assumed to be where they got the flag, the geologist's cabin, then they drove just over four miles east. It's interesting that the car's abandoned and that this empty bottle of beer is found another mile eastward, indicating that they continued maybe on foot eastward. Why wouldn't you go back? Maybe they got turned around. Also, I, oh man, I guess it's just unfortunate, but like when you travel, you usually have like a writing utensil, Mm -hmm. right? Because you have to fill out paperwork going into different countries and all that kind of stuff. I just, I just wish there was like just a note left somewhere of like, uh, yeah. you know, car broke down. Something in the sand. I, something, you know, something. Yeah. Like I really felt like we could have written something down here to, to keep it from being such a mystery. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the only thing that was written down was the, uh, we're going over the pass. Yeah. Of course, given where they are at, there was a lot of named geology, a lot of them ending in pass. But at this point, the people searching and trying to rescue... They assumed that pass that was mentioned in that logbook most likely referred to Mangle Pass. This was a dirt road full of rocks only meant for cars with four-wheel drive, and it is two miles south of the cabin that they may have stayed in. So again, they're four miles east, this pass with two miles south of that cabin, but it puts them in the area when you think of where the logbook itself is miles away. Yeah. But despite this lead, nothing was found, and on October 26th, the search was once again called off. And that's honestly where the case would have lied if not for Tom Mahood and his blog, his interest in this mystery. So again, now think, this case rests from 96, late 96 onward for about 12 years. 12 years? Yeah, that's all we knew. That's what I love about doing this show is that like we see, if you try to put yourself in real time, where cases just sit. And they become basically so thin of material that you just go, well, that's unfortunate. But we have Tom Mahood here, and I want to talk about his his blog, Other Hand. It's actually a blog we've mentioned before on the Area 51 podcast, where in the theory section, when talking about the paranormal angle on Area 51, it is his blog that offers the small kind of sub-theory of the Cheshire airstrip. Basically a secret airstrip that maybe only gets shown once the ground is made wet or what have you. Not a lot of proof going off of it, but, you know, it's something that came from his blog. So anyway, let's talk about Tom Mahood. On the blog, Mahood wrote about his experience searching for the missing tourists that became known as the Death Valley Germans. Mahood became interested in the case in 2008, even attending search and rescue group meetings in order to ask other members questions about the case in order to learn about it see if there's anything he could do to help solve this case. So in 2008, there were still search and rescue group meetings about this case. That's what it sounds like. Christian, do you know if people on and off searched about it or were these more like true crime enthusiasts trying to see what they could 
figure out from afar. I think it was more of the latter. The, yeah. the official investigation had kind of died down just because there was no yeah. more information to act on. But to your point, yeah. Like volunteers. Volunteers and, were still kind of doing what they could to... Just good citizens. See. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. I like that. So Tom Mahood, kind of being another one of these citizens, starts asking people, hey, what do you know? What can I kind of go off of? Has anything been yeah, found? Give me up the speed. Yeah. And also, importantly, he wanted to find out what would have led the Germans to their location in Anvil Canyon. So, on October 27th, 2009, now a year later, he drove out to Death Valley alone in order to understand what they might have been experiencing as people who had never been there before. If you want to know more about his experience, we actually encourage you to go check out his blog. He goes into a lot more detail. Mahood essentially shares his thought process while on this journey. He's basically diarying <laughs> yeah. his, uh, his feelings and what he's seeing and what his experience in that really hot Death Valley is. And also, he went in October. So then you got to imagine that in July, peak of summer, that this place must have been even more grueling. Both to be investigating this and then to just say, I'm going to go out on my Alone. own. And he did a little bit later. Okay, did like in the fall. Yeah, like, yeah, I get yeah. it. It's not as hot. But still, I don't know. Like firsthand, nah. If I research something that's like a... the boat that went under or whatever yeah. i'm not going to be like all right let me get on a boat <laughs> right. I, it's right. just, i'm not built that way mm -hmm. and just not i mean you're right a hundred percent this guy goes no fault of his own. I'm, I'm you know i'm not trying to fault the guy but i do want to say like a disappointed father i'm shaking wagging my little finger going you're risking it man you're really risking it you're yeah. kind of recreating the circumstances that the family found themselves in before they disappeared true and you're alone yep so, okay. So he's out there. He blogged about it. You should go check it out. It's really interesting stuff. But after this trip, Mahood, along with his search partner, Les Walker, planned two days of searching in an area the original search team did not think would be worth covering. Mahood convinced Walker to join him. And in early November 2009, they went out there for that two-day search. On November 11th, about eight miles or just shy of 13 kilometers south from the abandoned van or where it once was, the two found a wine bottle, a planner written in German, Cornelia's ID cards, and human bones. Once police were involved, some of the bones were found to belong to Egbert, and the others couldn't be identified due to the lack of DNA, though it is believed that these other remains might have also been Cornelia's. I mean, I would assume so. I mean, that, boom, there it is. But like eight miles south of the van, so they went yes. back for the cabin then. So... If we're assuming this is accurate, basically, yeah. they stopped at a, a touristy spot yep. in Furnace Creek, signed a logbook, said we're going to go to the pass. They head down into Butte Valley. Oh, damn. At the very bottom of that canyon on the south side, you have Geologist Cabin. Directly east, four miles they go, car gets stuck. At least somebody walks another mile because that's where an empty beer bottle is yeah, found. Yeah, the mile east. And now it's eight miles below that that they find the German planter, the wine bottle, and the bones as well. And so it stands to reason that they hoofed it this whole way. Yeah, and I, I feel like they did, and they, they got lost. Yeah, and so the question the is kind of, is this the remains of all four of them? Did the children unfortunately pass away prior to this point? and maybe were laid to rest by the parents. And oh. then the parents made it this far because we know Egbert's remains are there. We don't have the DNA to prove anybody else. So it's kind of theory that Cornelia is also there. 
because of her ID cards. I would think so. But I mean, the thing is, this is them. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it, how many of them? We don't know. But this is them. Mm-hmm. This was their, like, trail, final resting point for some, if not all. Yeah, absolutely. So now we have this new location. Remains were found, as well as a few items from the family found. No new information was had, and now a year later, in December of 2010, the police department informed Mahood that they actually found shoes that could belong to a woman or a child, as well as the remains that may have belonged to the children, which would later be tested for DNA. Mahood's blog notes some uncertainty on this information as he states that he wasn't given the location of these new remains, so he starts to openly question the validity of this information, or at least the honesty of it, Interesting. Because this is all we have left. He actually called them looking for more information on the DNA testing. He was not given any new information. He felt that this was strange because he was told that the DNA testing should should take about three months. And even after these three months, they had no new information to give him. The shoes that they apparently found were found north of where Mahood found the bones, quote, in a wash. Not exactly sure what that means, but given his familiarity with the area... Mahood is saying that this was a strange location to have found them. Oh. In his blog, he kind of indicates, hey, I'm familiar with this area, and this feels strange to me. That's something I wanted oh. to worth, thought was worth mentioning. But in the end, officially, Cornelia and the children are still considered missing to this day, with only Egbert's remains positively identified where Mahood had found them. And that is the information that we have on the Death Valley Germans. Well, hello there, Task Force. It is once again that moment in the episode where I part the seas of the mystery to talk directly to you. Now, this one's interesting. This is one of the first times I get to live react to the oddities, the irony of timing. We recorded this episode, and a week or two later, people are talking about going to Death Valley, specifically for the heat. I'm flabbergasted. People want to go because it's record-breaking, 55 degrees C or 135 degrees Fahrenheit if you prefer. That is Absolutely astounding. Why would you want to go? I feel like if you want to experience that heat, just kind of touch your oven. I don't I don't know, but this is terrible. This is terrible. People go missing. Anyway, it's just very odd. Every time we do an episode, I feel like something like this happens. Something happens in the news that there's an update to the mystery, or in this case, people want to go potentially go get disappeared, just like the Death Valley Germans. It's wild. Let me know on social task force. Would you go to Death Valley purely to feel the heat? Hopefully you bring lots of water and a car that can handle the rocks, but otherwise, goodness, couldn't be me. Anyway, mark your calendars for the August 4th reveal, store.roosterteeth.com. We have the squonk summer pin. He melts, he, he sweats, and he looks good in the summer. And we also have a summer baby hands pin as well as the task force pin. There's a hoodie, joggers, as well as a... Baby hands beanbag case. So if you've ever wanted to be coddled in those tiny little hands while being cozy, you can absolutely do it. And just for those who asked, yes, baby hands is still caked up, even in beanbag form. And once again, that's August 4th for the release of that merch, store.roosterteeth.com. With that said, I have some fantastic sponsors I want to talk about. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by PayPal Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. Inflation is really hitting hard in just about everything that you can buy, so when you find a coupon or a sweet deal online, oh, doesn't it feel good? Well, 
thanks to Honey, manually searching for those coupon codes and all those nice deals is a thing of the past. Forget about it. Stop wasting your time doing it. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. When you go to checkout, no matter where you're shopping online, the Honey button will appear. All you have to do is click apply coupons and Honey tries out every coupon that it has in its system for that website. Then it chooses the best one and applies it to your cart automatically for you in just moments. It's super easy and there you have your discount. I really enjoy using Honey. Anytime I'm shopping online, I am 100% using Honey and checking all those codes. I remember searching for coupon codes online. It's terrible. Those websites are ad-ridden. There's a lot of referral codes that don't work. A lot of the coupon codes are far expired. Honey makes sure to sift through and get rid of any expired codes so every time you use it, odds are you're gonna get a nice discount and I really appreciate that. Honey doesn't just work on desktop either. It works on your iPhone as well. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on those sweet, sweet deals. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid as well as supporting this show. Get PayPal Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash redweb. Once again, to get those savings, it's joinhoney.com slash redweb. This episode of Red Web is also sponsored by Shady Rays. Summer is here and the sun is getting stronger every single day. It certainly feels like that here in Austin. We're breaking 100 degrees constantly like it's Death Valley out here. So... When we're outside, we all need gear that is built to last and protect our little eyes. Our friends at Shady Rays have everyone covered for sunshine with premium polarized shades at a great price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Their frames are super durable, and they've got extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. Plus, Shady Rays has the wildest protection plan. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they will send you a brand new pair. No questions asked. I have several pairs of Shady Rays, no matter what my outfit is, what I'm doing, whether I'm getting active, going on a walk, or just hanging outside by the pool. I love those polarized sunglasses and the stylish looks. They feel good, they got strong hinges, they're not flimsy, they feel nice and premium, and I really appreciate that. Plus, every single time I talk about Shady Rays, I always let you know I'm a huge fan of their polarized lenses. Exclusively for you Task Force members, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. Simply go to ShadyRays.com and use code REDWEB, and they're going to get you 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Again, ShadyRays.com with promo code REDWEB. And with that said, let's get right back into the mystery. I'm really intrigued by the thought of getting into all the theories. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, this seems pretty, like, clean, cut, and dry. Yeah. They got stranded harsh weather they passed away yeah that's i mean that seems to be the most obvious it's i think the things at this juncture in the mystery whether it be 2008 or still 1996 is why were they driving where they were driving in a yeah. vehicle just not built for it did something cause them to go that direction were they running was there foul play with being chased down things like of that nature those are the theories that we're going to try to explore less so the cause of death or where the bodies right. might be found because I, I'm with you. I think that if nothing else, it is yeah. the environment. Why are they, why is the van there? Yeah. Yeah. And of course you could just say Occam's razor, poor reasoning. 
right? But let's dive into it. For a long time, there were actually countless theories as to what happened to the Death Valley Germans. Many of those people believing that the couple decided to start a new life in the United States, that they staged a disappearance to take on new identities. Remember, for 12 years, this case stayed super cold. No new information, no remains were ever found. And so for those 12 years, this was the leading theory. One of the supporting pieces to that idea was that there were custody issues back in Germany between Egbert and his ex-wife. And so maybe they wanted to flee the country to go somewhere else, find new identities, and say la vie. That said, of course, by this point in the episode, we all know that's not what happened because we now have remains. Yeah, but they had like over a decade to, to sit on that theory. That's why, mm-hmm. for sure. And with no bodies found, mysterious location for them to be in or the van to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see why people would drum that up. That's just something I never thought about. Like, oh, maybe they faked their deaths to start a new life in the States. Yeah, that yeah. was not on my on my. <laughs> yeah, on my people, people just thought, okay, well, they ditched the vehicle in a weird spot, and that's why it's in a weird spot, is because it was planted there. They walked back to the geologist's cabin and somehow made their way back out, out of Death Valley. That's a big and risk. New life. Jeez. Very big risk. I would have done it miles that's the thing too though not not to think about it why park that far mm-hmm. park a mile take the risk just leave the van anywhere leave the van yeah leave the van anywhere just, just be disappeared don't don't do the risk of let's disappear in death and make Valley. it really really believable right it's very believable but yeah so as i mentioned i i wanted to cover that because that is part of the story of this mystery but of course has been since ruled out this leads us to another popular theory that foul play might have been involved. The difficulty here is that we don't have enough information on the remains of the tourists to know if they had any injuries, if there were any cuts on the bones, or if there were other kind of items found at the scene that could have indicated a possible cause of death, or even a probable one. But at the time, none of this information was revealed to the public and still hasn't been. Another interesting hiccup in this theory is that there was no bank activity on either of their cards following the disappearance, which tends to be something like if foul play is involved and somebody was to rummage through their personal effects, they might have stolen the credit cards and all of that. Yeah, still need money. Yeah, and run up a, you know, something. Yeah, not a large sum of money was possibly deducted. We're not seeing any signs of struggle in the van or any types of, like, blood cuts, liquid, anything like that, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, it's a theory that everyone's like, you know, like a lot of things. Well, aliens, that's a theory. It's We're like, getting yeah, there. I, I, We're getting there. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. But before going. we, I mean, we're going to start dipping our toes into the wild here. But regardless of the hiccups in this foul play theory, I mean, it is possible that somebody's held at gunpoint and said, drive that way and just keep driving. Don't come back or what have you. But that's just my own kind of musings. Now, Regardless of all of that, some people believe that the family may have been attacked by the Manson family. The Manson family was a cult known for multiple murders, but it was no longer active by 1996. That said, something that's interesting here is that the discovered remains were not all that far from where the Manson family was known to bury bodies. And so some people think, hey, maybe this was just kind of like a one last little thing by the Manson family. You can see it being a coincidence. Yeah. Could be coincidence for sure. Because it's just remote. Yeah. You know? But either way, you know, just like the first theory, it's an interesting location for all this to go down. 
if someone's trying to do robbery or in some way attack another group or whatever, Death Valley is just a, a very brave place to do any of that. Right. Moving on, though, aliens are, of course, always considered, especially in the desert areas of the United States. We're really not all that far away from Area 51, hence people's desire to really bring that to the case. Many people believe that their decision to drive for miles with no wheels, or at least no tires, was strange, and the direction that they went in made very little sense. And again, this is like, that's all they're going off of, but they're thinking maybe they were chased out there by something scary, something otherworldly that they didn't quite Maybe uh, they saw something in the sky and booked it a different yeah. way. Now, for some, a more sinister theory remains to this day. The idea that they saw something that perhaps they shouldn't have. This one, while fantastic in my delivery, does actually make a lot of sense given where they're at and given especially the context of the location we discussed in the Area 51 episode. We, we talked all around this area and all the types of experiments and witnesses and things that have gone down here. So based on interviews with family members, Egbert appeared to have an interest in the paranormal and he potentially wanted to see some advanced technology, perhaps at China Lake Naval Weapons Center. This was about eight or nine miles south of where the van was found abandoned or about 120 miles from Furnace Creek where they were last known to have been and signed that ledger. Mahood believes that they may have gone to this area in search of Area 51, which is in Nevada, about 200 miles away from Death Valley, but rockets, missiles, and other various weapons are indeed tested at China Lake, so it's possible that they went down to the geologist's cabin, which was kind of the furthest they could get on the road, like in this Plymouth. Yeah, like a stop. And then they looked at the map and they tried to forge a path from that point Jesus. even further south to China Lake. But at that point, you're getting to some secret no. government facilities right. and military but facilities. also not like, in a damn dollar rental car. Like, come on. Yeah. You know, the upkeep on that thing is probably terrible too. Worn out treads, all that. Right. I could see that maybe okay he was an enthusiast and wanted to go you know it's kind of in theory to the center of it right mm -hmm. I, I don't believe that like they saw something they weren't supposed to see and their family was kind of just like chased out or like left to die yeah i i wonder what it would i mean you go up to area 51 now and there's a sign everyone takes selfies with it now and everything yeah. but it basically says tread no further we totally have the right to take you down if and i mean forever if yeah, you pass I mean, this sign. It's not like a group of teenagers. It's, it's not a group of teenagers. It's and the kids. But it's a group of internationals. It's like, it's a German guy and his family. And so, yeah, you see family, but also per his family, Egbert was an engineer and was interested in hybrid propulsion. And so I guess I can understand at least the origin of this theory being like, yeah. you know, if a German engineer starts driving through the mountains, even in a, a wacky vehicle, that the military is going to take it kind of serious. That's where the theory is going. Obviously, the body was like was found, and yeah. the others were not. I don't know if they totally just got disappeared by the government, or if they were attacked by the government, or if there was just no. This feels messy play. as hell. It does feel messy. You can just take the van, right? And no one will find it, right? And then don't also. Why would you leave the bodies? Out I think there? that's a very good yeah. point. If we're gonna talk about a secret government <laughs> act of taking this family out, I feel like they would wipe the footprint. It would. I, I'm not just drop them say, and leave. It would be easy. No van, mm -hmm. no trace, right? Mm -hmm. You have them, put them behind. You literally are, you literally have a facility in which 
majority of the people on the planet do not have access to. Yeah. No one's going to find nothing in there. Right, right. No one's even going to be able to step foot to try and find something in there. I don't know. It's it's an interesting theory. Oh, for sure. I love, that's why I love hearing your theories. I know a lot of times, like, oh, that theory doesn't make sense, or that theory right, doesn't right. make sense. But I love hearing oh, yeah. the thought process, like the theory, and then what pieces of information people are pulling in order to kind of drum up that theory. Mm-hmm. You can see, actually, on this map here, where... I'm gonna, it's kind of small. We'll post this map, by the way, and maybe a link to it, because like I said, it's interactive. But here's the cabin. Here's where the van was east of it. Here's where the beer bottle was a mile east of that. They walk south about eight miles. Remains found. Go, and I'm estimating here, maybe another 10 miles south, nine miles south. There's the border to China Lake. And so, again, if nothing else, people have created a very interesting, compelling theory. Why not stay on the trail, Why not stay on the trail? Yeah. Especially since they said we're going to take the pass, and there is a pass that goes south. It, either way, yeah, it's an interesting theory, and it connects a few dots. But you're right, Occam's Razor out here saying it's likely that that could happen. But if it were to happen, other things, probably other conditions, would have been met, like right. the body being cleaned up and the van being gone. Anyway, moving on now, though, to Tom Hood's theory. It seems pretty likely. I'm I'm very curious on your thoughts. He proposes that the family was attempting to get to Yosemite National Park. So Yosemite National Park would have been mid-state California-ish. I believe, I I don't know exactly how far, but from where they were in Death Valley. Basically, if you made a triangle from like LA up to Las Vegas and then west over to Death Valley, Mm -hmm. that kind of triangle, this would turn that into a T by going even further west and a little bit north to uh-huh. Yosemite National Park, just to give a, a very rough mental map to anybody unfamiliar with the area. But on a time crunch, they may not have wanted to take longer paved roads, because remember, they're out there, they're exploring, they only have maybe two or three days before they have to get back to LA, return the car, get to San Francisco, fly home. So they signed the guest book on the 23rd. They had to return the van on the 26th. It's about a four to five hour drive back to LA. So Mahood is theorizing that their guidebook indicated a potential shorter path on a road through Anvil Canyon instead of Mangle Pass. So when they indicated that they were going to a pass, maybe it was Mangle Pass, maybe it was some other pass. Mm. This shorter path consisted of very rocky and very sandy roads that the van was just not equipped for. Yeah. Again, we're talking the need for four-wheel drive, great suspension, a vehicle that can like really take it. Mahood theorized that they were going too fast and quickly lost three tires and then got stuck after that. They may have then seen China Lake on their map and thought, well, maybe we can walk there to try to find some help. He knows that as an engineer and as a fan of propulsion and things of that nature, maybe that there's some ongoing tests, some some military down there. So let's try to hoof it south, what, at that point, 12 miles-ish? Down to China Lake to see if they could find any help. I'm curious why they didn't take the four miles back west where they had come from to go back to that cabin to maybe wait it out, but that's how the theory goes. See, that's the thing that's so tough. Mm-hmm. When, when it's like, maybe they went to go find shelter this area, this area. Anything is further than where you just came from. Yeah. And one, there's a a, a trail, there's a, there's a main road that when you get to, you just follow it back. The thing is, is like, well, what if they got lost? 
I mean, if they're driving through sand and you're you're making a trail of where your vehicle was. And then on top of that, if you chewed up the tires and drove two miles and you're making like 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 a railroad track at that point, mm-hmm. like you, you like you're carving into the sand and the rocks. So like why not backtrack? Why keep pushing forward? Yeah. Into seamlessly the unknown. Right. I mean, unless there was confidence, uh, but there's some elements here that that addresses that kind of decision making. In fact, I'm just going to jump the gun. As I mentioned, there was an empty whiskey bottle. We had some Bud Ice, which is basically beer. So one of the other theories that I'm, again, jumping the gun on a little bit is that maybe there was inebriation involved. Maybe that the parents were making some poor decisions due to that inebriation. But regardless, I, I did want to mention this. At the time that they were missing, between the dates of the 23rd and the 26th, the temperatures were ranging somewhere on the low end between 91 and 96 degrees Fahrenheit, 33 to 36 C, and on the upper end, 124 to 125 degrees Fahrenheit, Holy. or 51 C. Yeah. So that's brutal. I mean, that's just I, absolutely brutal. I feel like they drink they drink the alcohol because they're just like, I just need to drink something. Just need to have something. I, just, I, just, I need to have liquid. I'm losing my mind it's, out it's here. It's the same as a stranded sailor guggling down some salt water at yeah, sea. Like, it's like, it's you bad for me. It. I'm going to get dehydrated, but I just, need, I just need it. But you need, need it, right? It. Yeah, so your brain can't help mind. it. Yeah, I don't know, man. And th- th- I think the, the mystery will forever remain. Why did they waltz? You know, this reminds me a little bit of Yuba County 5, except in the opposite weather conditions. You know, like... Oh, that was, yeah, extremely where, cold weather. Mm-hmm, where it's five individuals and driving a pickup truck that eventually got seen and then abandoned and, and then a cabin nearby where they tried to, to live. And anyway, whole episode on that one. But coming to the smaller theory now, as I mentioned, this tries to address the decision-making... Maybe not why the vehicle was there, but perhaps why they walked out where they did. Because it was based on the amount of alcohol brought on the trip. Some theorize that the adults may have been inebriated, leading to these poor decisions. For example, many find it strange that they didn't turn around and go straight back to geologist's cabin for help, which is what we had kind of been talking about. Based on having the flag in their car, it seems that they'd been there before. And if they had been there before, they would know that there was food and at least some water nearby. Yep. On top of that, it was four miles away rather than the nine miles by foot to China Lake, or actually more than that, nine miles maybe from where they were found, but quite a ways away. I think too is like the the like cabin area, that's familiar. Mm-hmm. You know that's there. You know it's there. You've yeah. been there. You can visualize, you can see it. You were there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a more interesting sub-theory to this one that I think is if, if nothing else, it's at least part of it, right? So it's possible that the family being European may not have been familiar with how large the United States actually is when they were driving around, might not have actually known or understood how much driving is required, which could interfere with their trip planning and their course taking, and even down to how far they're walking. The maps are in miles, and it's kind of really hard to figure out scale. So it is entirely possible that that's part of the play. True. Yeah, there is the, yeah, not being from the country mm-hmm. aspect of it. Not being familiar with reading, you know, English, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Thrown off. Now, the last theory kind of goes back a little bit to the idea of heading down to China Lake, if nothing else but to get help. I mean, military installations in Germany usually had round-the-clock patrols. And this is a country that they're more familiar with. Not to say that that doesn't exist here or elsewhere, but because of that, it's possible that Egbert was saying, well, 
let's at least get down to China Lake because I know that that should be a place where they have consistent patrols. They'll pick us up. They'll see us. They'll get us some help. We might not be welcome in that area, but they'll at least go, oh my gosh, what are you doing out here? Let's get them to safety. I think that was like their parents. When you're faced with two those two choices, it's like either take my kids to the military, which could be a little, you know, a little hostile, but we'll ultimately get help. It's farther. Or a rest stop where I know there's food. I've been there. It's shorter. I, I don't know. Like there's an actual trail to follow. Like these are parents, you know, so in my head, there's just a clear cut decision there of like, well, obviously we backtrack. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's a, it's a very sad case. And I appreciate that the theories attempt to address why they were out there. But honestly, and this is just being candid about human nature, people are fickle. Sometimes we make silly decisions and yeah. they have dire consequences. And, and like I said, this is all hindsight. Yeah, you know, We exactly. weren't there. Like, we're not suffering from the conditions, extreme heat. You know 100%. what I mean? hundred uh, percent. Like being dehydrated. Like, we don't know. Like, right. they could have just been stumbling around trying to keep it together. Thousand percent. No clue. You're hot, you're boiling, yeah. you're dehydrated. You're in the mountains, and if you've ever heard of, like, being on the moon and you see photos and you go, that looks like a small rock, but it's actually a huge car-sized boulder. Yes. You're out where there is great vantage points, right? You can see far, but you have no idea how far you're seeing, and you yeah. have no idea yeah. the scale of things around you. This is just a, a terrible area to get lost in, and it was very unwise, if I can say, for Mahood to just go bolting out there, even if he was prepared properly right. to go ex investigate this area. That's just how deadly, it's called Death Valley. Yeah. That's just how deadly yeah. this area is. And it's really unfortunate, but but I don't know, you know, like car went down. It's almost like they walked out east to see what they could see. See, is there anything worth going east for? No, okay, let's turn south. Yeah. And, uh, and then the family, to come to the conditions of, yeah. of the environment. That's that's where my mind is with that. Mm -hmm. That's quite unfortunate. Yeah. Well, this has been the Death Valley Germans. Again, there is an interactive map that will help, because this is a very logistics geo geographical episode. It really is. I tried to do my best to make it more layman's terms and try to give you an idea of how far things are from each other. But regardless, we're, we're going to post that map like we do with all of our images and visual assets on our social handles. But of course, we'll link that as well. So you can really dig in there. It has some of the details as far as each of the pinpoints that are main locations and the details that happen at those locations. I think it's a fascinating, albeit morbid case. And uh, man, that's just really unfortunate yeah. for the family. But that has been the Death Valley Germans. Fredo, I'll see you right back here next week for yet another mystery. Mystery.